Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I'm going to adjust my audio here just a little bit. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we are continuing on our study of the wisest fool. Now, we talked last week about when Solomon was the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever live. There is no one who had come close to the riches and the honor and the wisdom that he possessed as king other than when Jesus would come years later. Today we have the unfortunate task of pointing out when Solomon avoided prudence and was no longer wise. And I I want it to be mentioned at the very beginning of this episode Solomon did not just miraculously and magically lose his wisdom at this point in his life. It didn't just go away. There wasn't some type of brain malfunction where his brain shut off for a moment. This was a choice that he made willingly to do what he did. And I think that's what makes this so sad. I think that's what makes it so frustrating is that Solomon didn't have to go this route. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings 11, and we'll begin in verse 1. Solomon avoided prudence, the application of wisdom, when it came to his relationships. 1 Kings 11.1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Now, some might hear that and think, see, there goes God again being, you know, racist, essentially. He hates these foreign nations, and there's no real reason for him to hate these foreign nations other than he just hates foreigners. I would like it to be reminded, just so we're all clear here, the anti-mindset of the Bible being whitewashed, and I'm saying anti-mindset that Christians need to be against that mindset. The Bible is not a whitewashed book. We have, unfortunately, throughout history, in some cases, tried to make it look like that. Uh, But the fact is, Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was not American. Jesus was a Jew. Solomon was of the Israelite people. So Solomon's not a white guy. Solomon's not like I am in the color of his skin or his nationality. Solomon was the king of the Israelite people. And so the question becomes, why would God be against one nation marrying another nation? Because if it, if it doesn't have to do with skin color, because it really, really didn't, Then what was the issue? Watch verse 2. These strange women are from the nations, verse 2, of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Why? Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. Now there are some people who 
have suggested, and I, I'm not sure whether it's entirely accurate or not, but I do think there's some merit to the thought process. Some people have suggested that that, that phrase there at the end, Solomon clung to these in love, is essentially him saying, the writer here of First Kings, that Solomon not just clung to those women in love, but that he clung to their gods too. And this is the problem. The problem was never about skin color. The problem was truly never even really about what nation or tribe they were from. It had everything to do with their allegiances, their loyalty. You're either with God or you are against him. You don't get to pick to be on both sides. That's, you know, the mindset of James chapter 4. Either you're a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. You can't be a friend of the world and be a friend with God. It doesn't work. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 talks about no man can serve two masters. He'll either love one or hate the other, or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. He can't serve God and money. Solomon, you, you can't serve God and these women. In verse 3, it says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Now, a, a concubine, as best as I've been able to describe this, let me, let me pull up my information here, sorry. I'm trying to do this on the fly in Logos. I just want to, I just want to see here. We're getting there. It's basically, from what we can see here in one of the, the downloaded books, the Lexham Analytical Lexicon of the Hebrew Bible, it's, a, it's a, someone in a formal or possibly marital relationship with a man or a husband. So effectively, these young women, or these women, were given to Solomon as options. I don't want to get too deep into this subject matter here because I think that we need to kind of be careful. Solomon did not have the internet to entertain himself with some of the things that unfortunately entertain many of our people in society today. But make no mistake, Solomon had the ability to, on any given night, choose whoever he wanted from these thousand women. He had options. And in some cases, by the way our world makes that sound, that seems like a good thing. But it was quite the opposite. These women destroyed Solomon. Verse 4 says, For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives... They did exactly what God said they were going to do. In verse 2, they turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And if I had told you last week that Solomon was at one point 
surpassing even the wickedness of his father David. Would you have believed me if you didn't know anything about this guy? Because that's what verse 6 says. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place. You remember in Second Chronicles 1, we talked about the high place being a place of worship. In, the, in that chapter, it was actually utilized correctly. And we, I don't know if we attributed it to this or not, but just in case we didn't, let me, let me make sure we've done it now. If you go to a church building, then you are effectively assembling at the quote-unquote high place of your day. Provided that you're doing worship the way God intends and God structures, you're doing nothing different than what they were doing in Second Chronicles 1. But now in 1 Kings 11 and verse 7, this is not a high place for worship of God. This is a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He likewise did this for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. I, I can't help but make the comparison that just eight chapters earlier, Solomon is on an absolute tear to save an innocent child from the kidnapping that it experienced. And he wants to preserve this child's life. And yet here we are eight chapters later and Solomon is now sacrificing children. You see, Molech was this statue that had a massive structure and the statue of Molech had arms that would be stretched out and those arms would be stretched out typically over a fire. I have a candle lit right now in my office and if I hold my hand above that flame, it begins to be very hot after just a few moments. If you were to take this idol though and place it over this fire and let that fire get really, really hot, what would end up happening is these these children would be placed into Molech's outstretched hands over that fire and, and that child would be killed or in the way the Bible sometimes put it, passed through the fire as a, a method of worship. And God had warned throughout the Bible about Molech and trying to ensure that no one got involved with this mess. In Leviticus 18.21, it says, You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And just two chapters later, in chapter 20, in verses 1 through 5, he says that the Lord speaks to Moses, saying in verse 2, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever the children of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I'll set my face against that man. I'll cut him off from his people because he's given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, what's he going to do to him? Then I'll set my face against that man and against his family. I'll cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him 
to commit harlotry with Molech. Does God sound serious about this? Well, in Jeremiah 32, 35, it says, They built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And the place of worship for Molech is two considerable places. We find the Valley of Hinnom, 2 Kings 23.10. He defiled Topheth, which is in the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, that no man might make his sons or daughters pass through the fire to Molech. And then the high place here in 1 Kings 11 and verse 7. What happened to Solomon? If you want to know what happened to him after this had taken place, he was punished. In 1 Kings 11, 9 through 13, God tears the kingdom away except for one tribe. And he says in verse 12, he's not going to do this in the days of Solomon. But not because of all the good that Solomon had done, but for the sake of the father, David. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. And I won't tear the whole kingdom away, verse 13. I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. You've sometimes heard someone say, I won't do this because I know who your father is. I won't do this on your father's behalf. It would be embarrassing for me to tell your father what you've done. And so because of your father and the reputation that he possesses, I'm not going to, you know, prosecute you in this matter to the furthest extent that I have the ability to. God says, I'm not going to tear away the kingdom in your days, and I won't tear the whole kingdom away because of your daddy, because of David. Can you imagine how wicked Solomon had to be to where God would look at Solomon and say, I won't I won't, I won't, I won't do this to you, not because of you, but because of who your father is or was. Solomon had adversaries the rest of his life. In chapter 11 and verse 14 of 1 Kings, it says, The Lord raised up an adversary, Hadad the Edomite. And when he went away and was no longer a problem, in verse 23, God raised up another adversary, Razan, the son of Eliada, who had fled from the Lord, had had Adezer, king of Zobah. And when he was no longer a threat, Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zura, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Why did Solomon's life end up this way? It didn't have to be. And, and for all the wisdom he possessed, he turned the light switch off and let the desire to serve himself be stronger. He had it all, everything he could have ever needed, but it wasn't what he wanted. And that really is where the problem lies with Solomon. Lord willing, next week, we're going to pick back up with this, and we're going to look at some text takeaways from the wisest fool that's ever lived. But until then, I want us to remember to please God now, so our eternity can be far better.